0: Uh, thank you, Pierre. I appreciate that. Um, I, I had a heart attack every time I saw someone put hands on the chair, and you'll see a bit uh, later why. But I just want to say good morning to everyone here at Somerset West. Uh, it's great to have you here, and my name's David, for anyone that doesn't know me, um, and I'm, I'm going to try and keep it short this morning because um, we've had a few people up, but, you know, let's just see where God takes it. So, I want to ask you firstly a question. And the question I want to ask is, how would you define humanness? If I had to say to you, what does it mean to be human? I find it very sad that a lot of people define humanness by the fallenness of man. What do I mean by that? Is when people think about humanity, they think of things like destruction, treachery, greed, because the Bible tells a very different story of how man was created. The Bible says that we were created in the image of God. That right? Just getting a bit of response a little bit before. Just warming you guys up, you know. I don't want to overdo you, but you know, hopefully we'll build it up towards the end. So God made us in his own image so that we would be like God in certain ways but also that we would represent God in his creation. And this talks about the amazing ability that man has to be like God, to reflect God's character, to reflect his glory, but also his power and authority in helping good prevail in the earth. You might ask the question then, well, why is the world so messed up? Why do we see so much destruction, especially with man causing it? Well, the reason for that is man fell, man turned away from God. And because of a result of that fall, and because of a result of a fallen world, the image of God inside man has become marred. But just because that image has become marred and ugly and broken and we can't see it, it doesn't mean that man has lost his value. Because man is made in the image of God, human life is sacred. And it's like my two chairs that I have here. And these are two antique chairs. And if you look on the right-hand side, thankfully this was the one that Pierre leaned on, this is a chair that you can see the value quite clearly. Maybe it's not to everyone's taste, but you can see that the chair has value. And on the other side, you have a chair that looks like it's ready for the scrap heap. And this, th- this chair is, you know, you probably think you could, you could easily just throw it on a scrap heap because it's ugly. But this chair has potential. It doesn't lose its value. And with the right kind of restoration, it can look beautiful again. And God saw the most incredible value in us, even in our fallenness. The Bible tells us, That Christ died for us while we were still sinners. In our most ugly state, Christ was willing to lay down his life for us because he saw the value in our lives. And he wants us to do the same. He wants us to value what he values. And this morning, we're gonna be looking at the sixth commandment. Um, And I have memorized the whole scripture. It was a lot to do, but it's from Exodus 20, 13 which says, you shall not murder. <laughs> I didn't even need to look at it. I, impressive, I know. And this word, murder, it's basically a Hebrew word. And now I'm gonna get into trouble for trying to be clever. It's, 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 it's raw stack or something. Frank will probably enlighten us on how to properly pronounce it. But what this word means is you shall not murder, Is it means that you shall not dash to pieces. But it's talking about destroying something. Certain versions of the Bible have said you shall not kill. But the most accurate translation, of course, is you shall not murder. A little bit later in the Old Testament, it defines a bit more the different degrees of Murder that you can have first-degree murder, which is the most serious, where someone has planned and intentionally carried out a plot to take someone's life. And then on the other hand, something like manslaughter, where someone has killed someone a- accidentally. But obviously on both fronts, it, it does not condone the taking of lives. In fact, it says that in the land where, where, where lives are taken, where murder is committed, it pollutes the land. And it says that the act of murder is so severe that someone's life, you know, someone who does murder should actually face capital punishment. And I think this law we have, you know, uh, to protect the value of human life is essential for any kind of society. I remember the one time being in um, Green Market Square and I think I was taking my sister around um, just to look at some African things and get a bit of an African vibe. She'd been homesick and she was away in Scotland for a while. And I was approached by a man who was up from in, somewhere north in Africa. And he basically approached me. Actually, was, he, was, he was a drug dealer. It was being used by drug dealers to, to, to basically ask people if they wanted, to, wanted uh, drugs or anything like that. Don't worry, the story does get better. I will redeem it. And obviously I said to him, no, thank you. I'm not really looking for drugs. But I said, how did you end up doing this? And he said, well, I live on the streets in Cape Town. And this is all I can do really to make money. And I said to him, wow, living on the streets, that must be horrible. And he said, well, actually, Cape Town's a very nice city. And I said, but you're living on the streets. Surely it's dangerous. And he said, where I come from, we used to wake up every morning with the sound of bullets and having to run for our lives and he said, actually here it's nice and peaceful when I wake up. Just gives you an idea of perspective that when human life is not valued, it becomes hell on earth. An example of this is in Rwanda, one of the worst examples in 1994, during the genocide that happened there, during 100 days of slaughter, over 800,000 people were exterminated. That's madness, that's hell on earth. And it shows you what happens when we lose that value of human life, and it becomes so easy to take a life. Now, to lighten the mood a bit, um, because obviously that's quite heavy, but we understand totally that that is wrong. But when we go through the list of the commandments ourselves, you know, we look at different things and we think, oh, don't have any idols, and we think, oh, no, rugby or music, I messed up. Or maybe it goes to, you know, um, do we lo- use the Lord's name in vain? Or I was a hypocrite. Oh, no. And, and then it comes to what Pete did last week about honor your parents. And all of us have given our parents grief. So, you know, we all miss out on that. Some more than yeah, some more than others, yes. <laughs> Thanks for that, Frank. Sorry, mom and dad, if you're here. <laughs> um, but we, we see this almost as not applying to us, this commandment you know, we think, well, I'm actually not that bad. I haven't murdered anyone. We might have thought of murdering someone, like my parents when I was growing up, or my wife on a daily basis. We've just had our second year uh, anniversary uh, this last week, and she hasn't killed me yet, so it's all good. The thing is, Jesus doesn't agree with us. When he looks at this commandment, he has some quite interesting insights that I want to share with you this morning. And it's almost like a challenge to us. And you'll see what I mean when I, when I talk about it. So I want to ask that you'll turn with me. It's going to be up on the screen. But on your electronic device or your, you know, if you're old school, you've got your, your, your uh, material Bible here. I, I wanted to ask that you turn to Matthew 5, verses 20 to 26. And while they're turning there, I'm just gonna pray for us. Father, I just thank you for your presence here today. I thank you just for your amazing love towards us. And we wanna get the heart of this commandment that we should not murder Won't you help us, Lord? Lord, you are the greatest teacher. You said, come to me and I will teach you. And we want to be taught this morning. What does it mean, this commandment, and how do we fulfill it? And we want to glorify you in everything that we do. So open our hearts today, God. Open our minds. Uh, Just really have your way with your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool, I'll trust that most of you are there at this point. So this is what Jesus said, and Jesus was talking to a quite interesting audience, a range of people, but Jesus also had a wonderful habit of offending those who were, who were very quite self-righteous. And the thing is, Jesus hasn't stopped doing it, and he's still quite willing to do that to us today. So with that in mind, let's, let, let's read on. It says, For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard it said by those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or calls him raka will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the fire of hell. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and then remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Ouch. (laughs) Jesus challenges our understanding of the commandment, first of all, with the contrast between the action and the heart, or the heart and the action. He shows us that we can also have a murderous heart, and a murderous heart is just as offensive to God and makes us guilty before Him. still think it doesn't apply to you? Well, Jesus refers to quite a number of issues where our hearts can transgress this law. Firstly, he talks about being angry with anyone. If you're angry with someone without cause, and some versions say without cause because it's talking about sometimes to have a righteous anger about something. But being angry without cause means that we have some kind of offense, some kind of hatred, some kind of issue with our brother in our hearts. Secondly, he goes on to say that anyone who calls his brother insults his brother or calls him rucker. Raka basically means block, blockhead. <laughs> and what that means is that you have contempt for someone. You look down on someone, something like racism, looking down on anyone and insulting them with your mouth. That is hatred in your heart. And finally, it's, it's where it says you fool. And that word, you fool, I mean, it basically refers to a fool that, it, that it has wickedness with them. And that's talking about hating your brother and judging him, but also about cursing him with your mouth. And if you look at these areas, Jesus is just giving a bit of a summation of these. But what he's showing is that each and every one of us has fallen short, that we've all carried murder in our hearts and transgressed this law horribly and many times. I love the way Jesus teaches. When he wants to break down self-righteousness, he raises the standard so high that we have no hope of possibly fulfilling it. And he raises it so high. Just losing my earpiece there. Hopefully I need to raise this a bit higher, but you know. But Jesus raises the standard so high that we realize, we get to this point when we realize without Him, there's no way we can do it. And we realize our dependence on Him. And what was Jesus saying? We've heard the theme about a heart, and the heart has come through this morning. Jesus was saying that we need a new heart to fulfill this commandment, and only He can give it to us. The thing, next thing He does is He challenges our intentions. Like the Pharisees at the time, we can be so rules-conscious as Christians. It's all about what we shouldn't do. And the motivation for doing these things is that we we really just don't want to get punished, or we maybe want to get rewarded. And we sometimes project that onto God, thinking that He's just all about the rules. He's there with a checklist, and that's what He's worried about. But I want to ask the question this morning: what was the purpose of the law? if we look at romans seven seven it tells us we would have not known what sin was apart from the law galatians three twenty four says that the law was our guardian to point us to Christ or to, to protect us until Christ came. and what does that mean? Well sin in its essence, if you read you know, what the sin from the Bible, and, and you look at an uh, overall summary, sin is transgressions against other people that break relationship. When you sin against God and you sin against your fellow man, it breaks relationship. And then we start to understand if the law is our guardian, the rules are not an end in themselves, but the rules are there to protect the relationships. And that was the covenant, you know, that God... Gave the Israelites these rules to protect their relationship with him. If you still don't believe me, if you look at Jesus' teaching, what did he focus on? Was it the rules or was it the relationships? Firstly, one of the major areas he teaches on is forgiveness. And he tells an amazing story about someone who owed millions to someone and couldn't repay it, so he was let off that debt. But yet, when someone owed him about 10 rand, he refused to forgive that person. And he said, that is like our lives, that God is willing to forgive us so much and yet will hold such a small thing against our brother. When we forgive people, it leads to reconciliation, restored relationships. And Christ was so obsessed with, 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 with reconciled relationships, restored relationships. He said it in our passage. He said, so, if you're offering your gift at the altar and then remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Imagine if we had to actually apply that in church. And before we started worship, we could say, okay, before we start, we wanna ask everyone to go and, and go and sort out all your unreconciled relationships. I it would be a long Sunday. And please don't go, now. Nah, I'm going to get horribly offended. You can do it after the service. So. But sometimes we miss the heart of these things. We, we, we look at, say, forgiveness, we look at it like a rule. And we say, well, I've forgiven him, so I've done my part. That's not the heart of forgiveness. The heart of forgiveness is that you, your relationship will be restored with that person. And that even though they've messed up and they've hurt you, that you will still seek a loving relationship with them. It's not always possible. I know sometimes it's tough when the other person isn't working from their side, but that is the heart of it, is that God wants us to have reconciled relationships with each other and then ultimately with him. And it's interesting, that theme of reconciliation has come through quite a few times this morning. In prayer and during worship and as we were talking about it, Of course, Paul says it quite plainly. He says that Christ has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And sometimes we use reconciliation like a really Christianese word, but what does it mean? It means having great relationships, loving relationships without sin. Christianity is often very much about the don'ts. People get put off sometimes outside of the church because we focus on everything you can't do. But what about the things that you can do? And Jesus was very much a doing person. He taught this amazing section at the end of his Sermon on the Mount when he was bringing it to conclusion. He summed up it it in such a perfect way and it's in Matthew 7, 12, which says, in everything treat others or do unto others as you would have them treat you or do unto you. For this fulfills the law and the prophets. He said, do unto others, not don't do this. It's about the doing. And specifically with what we're talking about today, he said it in, in Matthew 5, 43 to 44. He says, you have heard that it was said. Well, you have heard that it is said. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you will be called, or so that you will be, sorry, my, my, I need some glasses, <laughs> so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. So what do sons of God do? They love their enemies and they pray for people who persecute them. Who do you think are your enemies and people who persecute you? It's the people you've had issues with. And the point is, God is not saying here that we should only love those people. The point he's making, Jesus is making, is that we should love people up to the point of people that are most difficult to love, that we have every reason not to. And the Pharisees try to be sneaky, and they said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor, Lord? And Jesus told this amazing story about the Samaritan, about this, you know, this Jewish person who was robbed and beaten up and left for dead. <clears throat> and a few of his own people walked past him, and then a Samaritan came and showed the most incredible love and and helped this man. For me, the point of the story is the Samaritan had every single reason to hate that man, to hate the Jewish man. In the Bible, if you read. The Jews used to treat the Samaritans like dogs. He was justified in every way to not show love. But he showed the most incredible love. And that was Jesus' point. That he wants to show us to show love to the unlovable. To people, we really have no reason to do it. But that is the heart of God. And I believe as a Christian... Our focus is not really, we've changed. Our focus has changed from not trying or from try, not trying not to sin, but actually to fulfill the commandment to love. And the amazing thing about this is when we actually fulfill the commandment to love, it'll take care of the negatives. When we do the do's, it'll take care of the don'ts. For example, if you absolutely adore a child or a spouse or someone and, and, and you love them with all your heart when they mess up and you get angry with them you can't stay angry with them for very long you know you, you see them and it's like oh that's so cute I can't and, and you just can't stay angry for long I'm talking about my pets now I don't have kids yet <laughs> just, just in case you're wondering but 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 when you truly love someone, you can't stay angry for them for a long time. And when you're reconcile when you're, you know, the relationship is messed up, you desperately want to reconcile it. You'll do anything to do it as soon as possible and to reconcile it. And that is the thing we need to work on on the love, the commandment to love, the do. And when we learn to love people, it is so difficult to hate them. And it is near impossible to murder them. That goes for you, my love. So, how do we do this love? I, I love this picture and this contrast that the Bible gives us in one John three sixteen. It says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. What a beautiful picture that instead of taking a life, we would actually lay down our lives in love so that others, our enemies, the worst of the worst, the most unlovable, from our friends to our enemies to the most unlovable, they would experience the love of God and be reconciled to him. And that's really what it's all about. You might ask me today, well, Dave, is this standard possible? Is it really possible? I mean, we hear all these flowery words and such a high standard. Is it possible for us to entertain? Or not entertain, sorry. Is it possible for us to complete or fulfill? And I want to go back to my chairs now that almost took out a few people earlier on. But the thing is, this chair is meant for sitting on. A chair is meant for sitting on. But in its brokenness, there's some problems with a chair. And if you're going to sit in a chair like a few people almost did, it's going to fall. But when you take a chair like that that still has value and you take a master craftsman who can restore it in incredible way, that chair is gonna hold your weight. The reason I'm telling you this is our lives were meant to reflect the image of God, the love of God. And we sometimes, before we are born again, we think it's impossible and there's brokenness. It doesn't mean we're, gonna mess up after the, we're not going to mess up after the cross, but we need to understand our absolute potential to love. And if you want to take this commandment seriously about laying down your life and loving the most unlovable, you need to have a revelation today of exactly what God has done for you and who God is inside of you. And when you experience the Father's love in the most incredible way, when you experience his love, you're so willing to give your lives because the Bible says that we love because he loved us first. That's what it teaches. And the Holy Spirit is there to help us. He is is the one who is our, our helper, our paracletos, and he wants to use our lives to reconcile people to God and to one another. And just imagine with me for a second what your life would look like if the love of God was unleashed in it, in your relationships. How amazing would that be? And you have the potential there and God wants to take you to that place. Before I pray for you this morning, I just wanna encourage people this morning that if you have any issues in relationships, broken relationships that are able to restore I want to encourage you that you will go after the service and love those people. Pray for them. Pray for them until their heart turns around. Love them. Do amazing things for you because that's the heart of God. And I promise you they will, if they don't know God, they will come to the cross through that. I also want to ask and appeal to anyone, the most important relationship you could ever have is the relationship between yourself and God. And if that's not right, then nothing else matters. And you can't bridge that gap yourself. You need Jesus to do it. You need that new heart put inside of you. And if that's you today, I wanna give you an opportunity where you can say, yes, that's me. I want a new heart. And all it takes is that you just say yes to God. And I wanna ask that everyone would just bow your heads right now And if you are here and you do not have a relationship with God, you desire a relationship with your father, a loving relationship with your heavenly father, but you feel disconnected and you want to receive a new heart to be connected, I want to ask that you would respond this morning and put up your hand and say, yes, that's me. I want to receive that today. Is there anyone here today who would like to receive that new life Well, I'm just gonna take it at the sound of my voice that everyone here is saved, but obviously it's about you and God and you saying yes to God in your heart. But I just wanna pray for all of us generally that, that we will experience God's love and get the heart of this commandment that we are called to love and that the Holy Spirit would do an amazing work in our lives to reflect the love of God. So I just wanna ask that everyone would raise their hands and I'm gonna pray for you now. Father, I thank you so much that you went and died for us, that your love was so complete because you saw the value in your lives, the value in our lives. I just thank you for that so much, God. And we wanna see the value in people's lives around us. We wanna love people in the way you love people. We wanna lay lay down our lives and see people come to know you. And won't you help us to do that? Thank you for giving us a new heart. Thank you for placing your spirit within us. And thank you that we will see your love unleashed. So won't you just, we just pray for more of you, my God. And thank you that we will see your kingdom come and your will be done as we do this. And we just thank you, Lord, that you're just such an incredible father and just so amazing in everything you do.